begin by thanking you so much for blessing my socks off for Pastor Appreciation Day last Sunday. The socks, the gifts, the encouraging words were overwhelming. I can tell you I'm not going to have to buy socks for a long, long time. I also want you to know I'm committed to wearing every pair of socks that I received. It's going to take some time. It is going to take some time, but I commit to you, I am going to do it. I was amazed that I received well over 50, 60 pairs of socks, and there was not one duplicate in the bunch. It's amazing. I even have a pair on right now that I received. There you go. little hamburger on the grill action for you. Don't be jealous, and uh, don't get hungry. So uh, I am excited about this morning. Uh, Let's open our Bibles. Open your Word to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, We are continuing in our sermon series titled, What Did Jesus Say? In this series, we are studying some of the teachings of Jesus found recorded for us in the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We can know what Jesus said as we look into God's Word. It's important for us to know what Jesus said because as followers of Jesus, Scripture says we're to walk as Jesus walked. Now, thankfully, we have God's Holy Spirit in us who empowers us to live as Jesus lived and to uh, love as Jesus loved. In Matthew 14, as you make your way there, we pick up with Jesus' earthly ministry underway. Jesus was ministering to and with his disciples. Jesus was preaching and teaching God's truth. He was preaching and teaching the gospel message. He was preaching and teaching the good news of the kingdom. He was healing the sick and healing the lame. He was performing miracles from town to town to town. The miracles in particular were evidence that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. The miracles Jesus performed were signs pointing people to believe in Jesus and to place their faith in Jesus and to follow Jesus by faith. Jesus fed the 5,000 men, and scholars estimate a conservative number, that crowd was more likely around 10,000 people when you add the women and the children in. Uh, he fed the great multitude with the boys' lunch of five loaves and two fish. He took the lunch, he blessed it, and then they distributed the food, and everyone in the great multitude that afternoon ate until they were full, and after the meal was over, the disciples went around and they picked up 12 basketfuls of leftovers after the meal. Jesus displayed his power by his provision of food. Jesus was, is, and always will be the great provider. And it's at this point we pick up in this passage, Matthew 14, I'll begin reading in verse 22, immediately he, being Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now, John tells us in his gospel that what was going on here was there were some Jews there in the big throng, the big crowd, that after seeing Jesus feed the multitudes with five loaves and two fish, they wanted to make Jesus king. This would have been a political move designed to help free 
the Jews, the Israelites, from under Roman rule and oppression. The problem with this idea was simply this. Jesus did not come to earth to be a political ruler or a military leader. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And so Jesus, being God in the flesh, knew their thoughts, and he acted quickly. Hence, immediately, the very first word in verse 22. What did he do immediately? He sent his disciples off in a boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee while Jesus stayed back, and one of his purposes for staying back was to dismiss the crowd so that they could go home after that meal, after that miracle had happened there on that hillside. And so the disciples were on the northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee, They got in their boats and they set sail west. They were headed towards Bethsaida and Capernaum, the Bethsaida-Capernaum area. Mark told us in his gospel it was Bethsaida. John told us in his gospel it was Capernaum, almost one and the same. They were right at the same spot, side-by-side towns. And so they were going to sail west across the northern point of the Sea of Galilee, and they were ultimately desiring to land on the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee. And we see here, notice a couple of points. Jesus made the disciples go. He made the disciples go. What do we know about this? We know that the disciples weren't eager to leave Jesus. They weren't eager to leave Jesus at all. There was excitement around Jesus. They were ministering with Jesus. There was excitement after Jesus uh, fed the great multitude with five loaves and two fish. There were excitement as there were those who were wanting to install him as king. Notice the crowds and disciples obeyed Jesus, which is always best for us as well. We continue in verse 23. After dismissing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. So Jesus dismissed the crowds. He went up on the mountain to pray. And as he got up on the mountain to pray, it was the evening. We know from our understanding of Scripture, especially the gospel accounts, that Jesus often made time to get alone to pray and fellowship with God. This was part of his ministry, uh, week in and week out, month in and month out. We know John and his gospel told us what Jesus prayed for during those times. John gave us a really good idea about what Jesus prayed for when he would get alone with the Father to fellowship and pray to the Father. He told us what Jesus would pray for in John chapter 17. He gave us an idea. John uh, chapter 17 is the record of the prayer of Jesus. And so John reminded us that when Jesus got alone to pray, he would pray for himself. Jesus would spend time with the Father God in prayer, asking God for strength so that he might fulfill God's plan for his life, which was to rescue us from our sins by way of his perfect life, perfect death, and resurrection. We see this in his prayer, Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he prayed to the Father, he said, if it be possible, take this cup from me, but God, Father, my Father, not my will, but your will be done. We also know that Jesus prayed for his followers, then and all of his followers, all of those who would come 
to faith in Jesus. He prayed for all of those who would become his followers by God's grace through their faith in Jesus, which includes you and me today. So Jesus Christ was praying for you and for me. We see this in the scriptures. He was praying for you and for me. Paul reminds us of this reality in Romans, the great chapter 8 of the book of Romans, where Paul reminds us that Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us even now. How awesome is that? I mean, that is amazing. When you stop and think about Jesus, he got alone to pray often. He was praying for himself. He was praying for his followers. That includes us. He's interceding on our behalf even now at the right hand of the Father. And we see evidence in Scripture of four requests that Jesus prays for us. Four requests that Jesus prays for us. We find it right there in John chapter 17. Four requests. Number one, Jesus prays for our protection. Jesus prays for our protection from Satan, the evil one, and his lies, temptations, and accusations. We understand and realize that Satan is the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is our enemy. Satan is the great deceiver. Satan is the father of lies. He is the counterfeiter. And everything that God is doing in us and through us and around us, Satan wants to undo. And all he can do is lie to us and accuse us and tempt us. And so Jesus intercedes for us, and he intercedes for us. And one of the requests he intercedes for us is he is praying to the Father, God, would you protect them from the evil one? He says, I'm not praying for you to take them out of the world. I'm praying for you to protect them in the world from the evil one. Because he's left us here on purpose. He's left us here to be his witnesses. We know, secondly, that Jesus prays for our unity. Second request Jesus prays for is our unity, our unity with God by our faith in Jesus. That's how we have unity with God, by faith in Jesus, the blood of Jesus, which provides us with forgiveness of sins and allows us to have a relationship with God. God prays for our unity with one another by our faith in Jesus. Why? Let me tell you why. Our unity in Jesus is vital for our witness for Jesus. Jesus himself told us, by this all men will know you're my disciples, if you love one another. When we have unity together, we have love with one another, it emboldens our witness for Christ Jesus. So we know the third request is Jesus prays for us for joy. Jesus prays for our joy. He prays for the joy of Jesus that we receive from Jesus by our faith in Jesus to be made complete in us. Jesus prays for his joy that is ours by faith in him to be made complete in us. Now, joy is the unshakable gladness and delight we have in Jesus. Joy is the unshakable gladness and delight that we have in Christ Jesus. Know that joy that Jesus is praying and interceding for us about, that we may complete in us, this biblical joy that we read about, the fruit of the spirit of joy, is unaffected by difficult circumstances, trials, and people. It's unaffected by difficult circumstances, trials, and people. Our difficult circumstances and trials and difficult people do not affect our joy that we have in Jesus Understand as well, the joy of Jesus is made complete in us 
through difficult circumstances, trials, and people. This joy, this fruit of the Spirit of joy is made complete in us as we follow Jesus in difficult circumstances, in and through our difficult trials, as we deal with difficult people. He completes that joy in us. The fourth request that we see that Jesus prays for us is our sanctification. Sanctification is our spiritual growth. He prays for our spiritual growth, our our faith in him to grow stronger according to the truth of God's word. Jesus is praying for our spiritual growth. He intercedes to the Father for our spiritual growth, for us to continue to be transformed into his likeness. Jesus actually prayed to the Father in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so we know the word of God, this word that we hold in our hands, is the main tool that God uses to grow us up in our faith in him. Not the only tool, the main tool that God uses to grow us up in our faith in him. And so it's awesome for us to know This morning, at this moment, we have the confidence according to the word of God that Jesus Christ, God's son, our savior, is interceding for us to the father. And he's praying specific prayers for us. And he knows us and he knows where we're at and he knows what we need. And his prayers are according to those needs. And so we see, continue in verse 24, but the boat was already over a mile from land. Battered by the waves because the wind was against them. So let's stop just for a moment. The Sea of Galilee at its widest point is about eight miles wide. Its widest point is about eight miles wide. So here Matthew tells us that the guys as they set sail towards the west... They were over a mile from land, over a mile from land. If you look at Mark's gospel, Mark said they were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. If you look at John's gospel, John said they they were three or four miles from where they left. So we know and understand Matthew, Mark, and John all agree. They're all in agreement. Here's what was happening. As the disciples got on the boat and they set sail to the west towards Bethsaida and Capernaum, the waves began to batter them on the Sea of Galilee. The winds began to blow against them and to hostily oppose them. them. A storm had risen on the Sea of Galilee. And what happened was they were going against the wind, they were going against the storm, and due to the wind and the waves battering against them, it pushed the disciples in their boat off course towards the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They were pushed off course. This storm tested the faith of the disciples. This storm threatened the lives of the disciples. Rowing was very difficult because the winds and the waves were against the disciples, against the boat. This was very common on the Sea of Galilee. Storms would whip up because of the geography of the sea and its relationship with the mountains surrounding the sea. Still true today. And so this was not uncommon, but this was a severe storm. Darkness had settled in around them because it was 3 a.m. Fatigue settled within them because it was 3 a.m. 
They have been in the boat on the sea battling the storm for about nine hours. As we look in this passage, about nine hours. The worst part for the disciples at this moment, the worst part for the disciples was Jesus wasn't with them. Yet, Jesus was not with them yet. And so we continue. This was just, in case you're wondering, this was not a fun night on the Sea of Galilee for the guys. Let's just suffice to say, not a fun night on the waters of the Sea of Galilee. So we look at verse 25. Around 3 in the morning, around 3 a.m., the fourth watch of the night, around 3 a.m. in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea. Now, I love verse 25. I love how Matthew wrote this verse. I love this. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea. Isn't that good? I mean, just think of this. Now, remember, we got the picture in our mind. The storm is raging, and here comes Jesus walking on the Sea of Galilee. You see, walking on the water wasn't difficult for Jesus. We need to understand, the storm was raging, but it wasn't difficult for Jesus. The darkness didn't bother Jesus. The time of the morning didn't bother Jesus. The winds didn't bother Jesus. The waves didn't bother Jesus. The storm didn't scare Jesus at all. Jesus was a picture of peace. Jesus was a picture of power. Jesus was a picture of protection. Understand this morning, Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our power. And Jesus is our protection. What a picture. What a picture to be there with the disciples in the boat. Storm is raging, and Jesus just comes walking. He's out for a walk early that morning on the waters. Well, let's continue to see what happens here. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Are you kidding me? Look at that. This is awesome. The disciples were terrified. That means they were afraid. They were in a panic. They thought they were seeing a ghost walking towards them. And they cried out because of their fear, because they were afraid, they were in a panic. They cried out in fear. These disciples, these rough men, carpenters, fishermen, they all cried out in fear. Now Mark in his gospel tells us a a real significant point. Mark says that Jesus wanted to pass them by. That as he was walking, he wanted to pass them by. Jesus didn't want to pass them by to scare them. Jesus didn't want to pass them by to ignore them. Jesus didn't want to pass them by to make fun of them. Jesus was wanting to pass them by. He was planning to pass them by because Jesus wanted to make sure every one of the disciples in the boat could clearly see that it was him, Jesus, God in the flesh, walking on the Sea of Galilee. Why? So they would trust in him. He was wanting to reveal himself. He was who he says he was. He was wanting to reveal himself. He was God in the flesh. He was wanting to reveal himself that he was walking on the Sea of Galilee. And if he, Jesus, was walking on the Sea of Galilee, they didn't have anything to be afraid of. 
And yet, they cried out in fear. Now look at verse 27. Immediately, when? Immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Notice the minute the disciples, this is important, the minute the disciples cried out in fear, Jesus responded immediately. The minute when the disciples cried out in fear, there's no mistake that Matthew said immediately. When the Savior heard the disciples and knew their fear, he immediately responded to them. And Jesus said, have courage. Immediately Jesus spoke to them, have courage. Have courage means take heart. Be of good cheer. Be of good comfort. That have courage is a present active imperative. That means it's a command to obey every day all through the day. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are commanded to have courage, to take heart, to be of good cheer, to be of good comfort every day all through the day. This was the command. This was the initial response of Jesus to his disciples who were crying out in fear. They were afraid. They were in a panic. And Jesus said, have courage. So the question is this. How were the disciples supposed to have courage in the storm on the Sea of Galilee? How are we supposed to have courage in the storms that we face in our lives day by day. How are we to have courage this morning, right here, right now, this moment, in the storm we're in the midst of right now? Because there are many of us in a storm right now, and the fear and the panic is gripping us and overwhelming us, and we are at the point, if we haven't already, of crying out in fear. And Jesus says, have courage. How were they supposed to have courage? How are we supposed to have courage? Hey, Jesus didn't just say have courage. He said, have courage. It is I. It is I literally means I am. Jesus said, have courage. It is I. I am here. Jesus said, I am with you. I am here. I am the one who multiplies the loaves. I am the one who multiplies the fish. I am the one who heals the sick. I am the one who heals the lame. I am the one who walks on the waters of the Sea of Galilee. I am here. Have courage. It is I. I am here. I am with you. That's how they were able to have courage. This reminds us of a similar scene in the Old Testament. Do you know what I'm thinking? That scene in the Old Testament where God comes to Moses and he says, Hey, Moses, you're the one. You're my man. You're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go from bondage in Egypt for over 400 years. And Moses starts his conversation with God. And he says, God, if I go to the Israelites and I tell them about your plan and I tell them the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? And the Lord God told Moses, you tell them I am has sent me to you. Meaning, I am 
that I am. I am the Lord God Almighty. I am the God of your fathers. I am the same God yesterday, today, and forever. I am the one true Almighty God. I am with you. I will be with you. You tell them I am has sent me to you. And he says this to us. In our storm, in our trial, in whatever it is that's wearing us out, in whatever it is that's wearing us down, in whatever it is that is causing fear in our lives, in whatever it is that is causing stress in our lives, in whatever it is that is pushing us to the edge, whatever it is that's causing us to cry out in fear, Jesus says this morning, have courage, it is I. I am here. I am with you. I'm with you. He says, have courage, it is I. And then he finishes it and he says, don't be afraid. Makes sense, doesn't it? He says, guys, don't be afraid. It is I. Guys, don't be afraid. I am here. Guys, don't be afraid. I am with you. The Lord God Almighty said the same thing to Joshua. And he was telling Joshua to lead the Israelites into the promised land. Haven't I commanded you, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Because the Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. Paul told Timothy, God's not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but a spirit of power, love, and of sound judgment. Listen, we walk by faith, not by fear, because the Lord God Almighty is with us. Amen. He's with us now. I want you to notice something here before we move. Can't move yet. This is so good. Can't move yet. We can't even get to the good part yet because there's so much good part before the good part to get to. Notice, notice, don't miss this. Jesus didn't immediately silence the storm. Jesus didn't silence the storm immediately. Jesus said, have courage in the storm. What was he doing? He was teaching us. Storms, tests, trials, and difficulties are part of the Christian life. Matter of fact, they're the very things that God uses in our lives to grow and strengthen our faith in Jesus so we can be more effective witnesses for Jesus. You see, here's what Jesus was saying to the disciples. He was saying this, guys, I'm not scared of the storm. Guys, I'm not subject to the storm. Guys, I'm sovereign over the storm. And I'm using the storm to grow and strengthen your faith in me. And what he says to you and me today is I am not scared of the storms that you face. I am not subject to the storms that you face. Listen, my children, I am sovereign over the storms that you face. And I use the storms in life that you face to grow and strengthen your faith in me. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that exactly what he said? Have courage, take heart, be of good cheer, be of good comfort. What an amazing Savior. Jesus said, have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We need courage because living the Christian life is not easy. We need courage to live for Jesus in a world opposed to Jesus. We need courage to let the light of Jesus shine through us. We need courage because we will face unexpected circumstances. We need courage because we will face unfair circumstances. We need courage because we will face unwanted circumstances. We need courage because we will deal with difficult people. We need courage because we will face times of suffering. We need courage because relationships are messy. We need courage because people are messy. We need courage because we are messy. 
We need courage because we will be persecuted as we follow Jesus. We need courage because we will be ridiculed as we follow Jesus. We need courage because we will be insulted as we follow Jesus. We need courage because the battle of spiritual warfare is real. We need courage because we have an enemy who is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy us. We need courage because our enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for an opportunity to devour you and to devour me. We need courage because living for Christ is challenging today in this world in rebellion against Christ. And so Jesus says, have courage, take heart, be of good cheer, be of good comfort. I am here. I am with you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I am with you. And so this is vitally important for us to understand as we make our way now to this simple question, how then are we to have courage? How are we to live each day without being afraid? And the answers to this great question are right here in this passage. They're all throughout this passage. Let's begin answering this question. How can we live with courage? How can we move forward And not be afraid. It's right here in this amazing passage. In verse 27. Let's look at this again. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, Have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Verse 28. Lord, if it is you, Peter answered him, Command me to come to you on the water. And I don't miss that. Don't miss that. Look at that right there. Don't miss it. Jesus said, have courage, it is I. Jesus did not stutter or misspeak. Jesus said, it is I. Say that with me. It is I. Now look. Peter responded and said, Lord, if it's you. Lord, if it's you, prove it to me. Command me to come to you on the water. Peter expressed, he showed, he demonstrated a lack of faith in Jesus. He didn't quite believe that it was Jesus who was talking with them and that it was Jesus who was approaching them on the Sea of Galilee. Peter wanted proof that it was Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, we see this desire for proof in our world today. And those who have not yet placed their faith in Jesus. They want proof. Prove it to me that this faith in Jesus is real. Prove to me that Jesus is who he says he is. The beauty of the scriptures is that scripture tells us that God has given us many convincing proofs. That Jesus is who he says he is. That Jesus came to do what he said he came to do. That Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus was buried, that Jesus rose again on the third day, that Jesus is alive today and wants a relationship with us. Scripture tells us over and again, there's many convincing proofs. And so we also understand and realize Peter wanted proof, wanted a little bit more evidence. 
The world around us certainly wants proof. But the truth of the matter is we're not all that different from Peter ourselves. Lord, I know that you love me, but will you do this? Lord, I know you're my provider, but will you do this? Lord, I know you're sovereign, but will you do this? Lord, I know you're with me, but will you do this? You see, the scripture says faith is the reality, the substance of what is hoped for. Now listen, the proof, the evidence of what is not seen. The truth is, and we all know this, Jesus had already given Peter plenty of proof. He already given him plenty of proof. Jesus fed the multitudes on five loaves and two fish. Jesus knew what was going on with the disciples. Jesus knew where the disciples were in the boat on the sea. Jesus knew how to get to the disciples in the boat on the sea. Jesus knew what the disciples needed in the boat on the sea. Jesus met the disciples' need in the boat on the sea. The proof was overwhelming from Jesus to Peter at this point. And the truth is, Jesus has given us overwhelming proof that he is trustworthy. He's given you and I overwhelming proof that he is trustworthy. Listen, understand this morning, right here, right now, right in these moments, Jesus knows what is going on with us. He knows what is going on in your life. Jesus knows where we are. He knows where you are. He knows your emotional meter. He knows how fearful you are. He knows how frustrated you are. He knows how fatigued you are. He knows what's going on in your life. Listen, Jesus knows how to get to where we are. Jesus knows how to get to you. He knows how to get to me. Jesus knows what we need. He knows exactly what we need in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the challenge that we are in right this very moment. And Jesus meets all our needs. He is our great provider. He meets all of our needs. And so we see at this point in this passage, the reality is simply this, as Jesus is walking us through, as Matthew's recording this amazing moment in Scripture, we will face a lot of storms and trials and tests in life. We will go through a lot of challenging situations. Most of us are probably in the midst of one right now. And we have courage in our trials as we believe in Jesus. As we believe he is who he says he is. And because of our belief in Jesus, that belief leads to obedience. That faith always leads to obedience. Obedience always follows faith. Our faith in Jesus leads us to obey Jesus. And the obedience is the proof of our faith in Jesus. 
And so we know and understand as we believe in Jesus that he is with us. We then have no reason to be afraid. And then we follow him by faith as he empowers us to follow him step after step after step. So understand this simple reality. Don't get angry at the storm that you were in in your life. Trust Jesus in the storm. Don't try to get out of the storm that you were in in your life. Stop trying to get out of the storm. Trust Jesus in the storm. And don't give up because of the storm in your life. Cry out to Jesus in the midst of the storm. You see, the words that David wrote, the psalmist of Israel, thousands of years ago, are still true today. They were true here in this passage when the disciples cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus responded and spoke to them. New Testament verifying Old Testament truth. New Testament verifying exactly what David wrote in the Old Testament. And what David wrote in the Old Testament was true in the New Testament. It's true for you and me today. As David shared these words in Psalm 34, verse 15, the eyes of the Lord on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry for help the lord's eyes are on us the lord's ears are open to us ready to respond immediately to our cry for help so whatever it is you're struggling with whatever it is that's creating stress whatever it is that's creating fear Whatever it is that's pushing you to the edge emotionally, whatever it is that's got you afraid physically, whatever that need is that seems far too overwhelming to you, wherever you are on that sea of life and you feel like you're all alone, whatever it is, that is coming against you. Jesus simply says this, have courage, it is I. I am here, I am with you. Don't be afraid. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team's gonna come.